Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where a below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. Today's guest is a good friend of mine. Mike Fuke played soccer at West Point from 2009 to 2013. After graduating, he proudly served the United States Army for six years. He recently left the Army to attend Harvard for graduate school in pursuit of an MBA. He's got a very impressive background, and I'm excited to speak with him about it. Mike, thanks for coming on. Absolutely, Bridget. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on the show. I know you and your wife recently moved to Boston, so I appreciate you making some time for this. I know you guys are getting settled in and you're busy. Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been great moving in up here. Uh, excited to start the, the school year. The weather's cooling down a little bit, so that's, that's nice. Although in January, I'm not sure I'll enjoy that quite as much. Oh, yeah, that'll be rough. A cool fact about you, Mike, is that you were born in Munich, Germany. How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? So, yeah, I was uh, born in Munich. My, pam- uh, my family is originally from Poland, uh, moved to Germany, and we all came over to the States when I was one year old. So I actually had my first birthday, like that day exactly, was on the plane ride over from Germany. Wow, that's cool. Did your family move to Pramus then, or was there another place you lived before that? Yeah, so when we first came to the States, uh, my father had lived a few places when he was over for shorter work contracts. When we came over as a family, we lived in Elmwood Park for probably around six or eight years, uh, and then we moved to Paramus, and, you know, my family's been there ever since. Yeah, so you basically grew up in Paramus, New Jersey, about 15 miles outside of New York City. How old were you when you started playing soccer? So I was six years old when I started playing soccer. Uh, my first memory with the sport is, you know, just like an in-town, uh, you know, recreational league. I was on a team with some other kids, uh, and that was really my, my first exposure to the sport, and I've, you know, loved it ever since. When did you become interested in the position of goalie? So that's, you know, the memory kind of gets a little fuzzy going back that far, but I believe it was that first or second year I was playing. So, you know, six or seven years old, I rotated through the different positions, you know, as I'm sure many kids do. Uh, And I started playing goalie uh, at that young age. And for one reason or another, you know, I was really interested by it and, and interested in it and kept pursuing it. What did you like about the position? So, there's definitely some, some challenges uh, as well as some, some positives that come with the position. Uh, I think I enjoy the ability to kind of, you know, have a, a big impact on the game at times, unfortunately, sometimes negative, but, you know, sometimes positive as well. Uh, and just the ability to kind of be a leader out on the field, organizing the defense, uh, structuring your, your team, making sure you're, you're set to face the, the attacks of the other team. So I think that really appealed to me most is that ability to kind of you know, help organize and structure the team. Nice. Yeah, to me, it seems like there's so much pressure that goes along with that. I think I played goalie one time in Pee Wee soccer, and I let up let up a bunch of goals, so they never let me do it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I, I never had anyone pull the the plug on me like that. Because I definitely <laughs> had some, some bad days at the at the office, as the expression goes. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, there's bad and good in it, and unfortunately, you, you can be the scapegoat at times. So that's part of the part of the game. Yeah, definitely. So from, the t- from that time on, were you always the goalie, or did you move to other positions too? So I guess I'd answer that as when I was playing competitively or, you know, seriously, I, I did always play goalkeeper. Uh, there were some times where probably very ill-advised, I managed to talk a coach or two into trying me out at forward uh, to you know, run around and have some fun scoring goals instead of letting them in all the time. Um, so, yeah, there were some brief flirtations with, with playing forward. Uh, but primarily, you know, anytime I played competitively or seriously, I was a goalkeeper from uh, six until, geez, I guess, about 22 years of age. Wow. Yeah, that's, a lo- that's a long run you had. Yeah, yeah. I played from, from kindergarten all the way through. Uh, you know, started playing travel, played club soccer, 
uh, played in high school and then was lucky enough to, to play in college. Um, you know, enjoyed it the whole time. And I still do play in pickup leagues now, uh, but now, you know, because I don't have anyone kind of watching out for the best interest of the team, I do uh, play forward from time to time, uh, probably to the detriment of the team, but I enjoy that as well. <laughs> yeah, how, how's your ball handling skills? So not, not great in tight spaces, which I guess, you know, comes with being kind of a, a larger guy. Um, although I will say, and I, I picked up a, I wouldn't say a knack for finishing, but from, from seeing, you know, so many shots over the years, you kind of just figure out, you know, you can tell when a goalie's leaning a certain way or something like that. Uh, so, you know, nothing competitive or nothing serious, but uh, I've been known to, you know, play forward and pick up games and, and score a goal or two. Uh, so I'm actually looking forward to doing that with the club team while I'm, while I'm up here. That's pretty impressive because I know in soccer practice, the goalies kind of have their own thing going on. They're not doing the ball handling drills that forwards and the defense are. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely the case. Um, yeah, of, of course, you know, I'm nowhere near, you know, a field player that, that played at a comparable level. I uh, just through the, you know, through going through so many drills and, and going through practice, uh, you do even as a goalkeeper handle the ball with your feet, uh, quite a bit. And I know that's something I really struggled with while I was at school, uh, college playing. So that's something the coaches really worked with me a lot on. So I was, you know, for like a collegiate level was probably extremely bad with my feet and, you know, left just like, you know, marginally bad. So definitely had some improvement there. And how many times in, in your career, whether you were the starting goalie or you were just on the team, how many times did the game end in penalty kicks? That's a, that's a good question, actually. Um, I know we had a few uh, a few while I was at school because uh, we played in some elimination uh, tournaments in the in the Patriot League, and I got to see some of that. Um, and then in high school, if I remember correctly as well, that happened once or twice again. You know, playing in county or, or state tournaments uh, where it's single elimination, so you kind of go down to penalty kicks. Um, so yeah, I'd say a handful of times, but maybe not as not as frequently as some others might have. I watch a lot of sports, and penalty kicks in soccer to me, seem like the most pressurized situations. I almost can't watch, even if I don't have a team that I'm pulling for. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's very interesting because, in, in my opinion, this is my two cents, it's one of the rare situations in soccer where the, there's actually more pressure on the, the forward or you know, the person trying to score the goal than the goalkeeper. Once you get to a certain level as, as a goalie, you really can't wait and try to react and try to save the shot off that because, you know, players just become uh, good enough to, you know, if they hit the ball correctly and they put it to a, a side of the net, you're just not going to get there in time on, on a penalty kick. So probably around high school for most folks, uh, as a goalie, you stop trying to wait and, and react and you have to just guess ahead of time. And, you know, I call it like an educated guess. You try to get a read on the forward, see which way they're leaning, or maybe they're looking a certain way with their eyes. Uh, but you're basically making an educated guess and diving to that side as they're, as they're lining up for the kick, because you really can't wait for them to, to react from it. So from a goalie's perspective, it's one of the rare circumstances where there's a little bit less pressure on you because the forwards kind of expect, expected to score. It's obviously you know, a high percentage uh, set piece for the other team. So you kind of have that ability to just go a certain way, guess, uh, you know, and if you save it, you're the hero. And if it goes in, that was kind of expected to, to begin with. So I think it's kind of the opposite of the majority of soccer where, you know, it's typically you're saving a lot more shots than you're letting in. So when you let it go in, it's obviously, you know, uh, to, to your detriment versus a penalty kick, it's kind of expected to score. That's really interesting because I was gonna I was gonna say in my limited knowledge of soccer that the pressure's on both the goalie and the player, but that's a really good point you made. If the goalie is just guessing, it's kind of not on them at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, 
and again, you know, I could be, I could be looking at this wrong. It's, it's, it's possible, but uh, yeah, once you get to a certain level, you just have to guess as a goalkeeper. Um, and of course, you know, if you they hit the ball towards you, and then you know you, you make a mistake or a gap, and you, you let it in, even though you guessed correctly, that's a different story. But yeah, as far as uh, as far as the penalty kick itself, yeah, you're, you're guessing. You know, if you guess wrong and go to a certain side, rarely are you going to be at fault because you know it's, it's again, it's just having to read and making an educated guess based on how the forward approaches the ball and how they strike it. And does having height, is that an advantage for a goalie? Because you're a tall guy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm about six foot three, which is for like collegiate goalkeepers, probably a little bit on the shorter side. Um, generally speaking, yeah, goalies do tend to be taller. It just it helps a lot when you're playing in front of the net. You know, you're collecting crosses, you're collecting balls that are in the air. Uh, of course, you know, everyone's vertical is, is different. But if you just start off taller with longer arms, you just have a... Uh, kind of a higher vertical reach, you know, combining your, your jump and how, how high you can reach. So most goalies are typically on the taller side, uh, but the one kind of risk it has is then, typically speaking, you're, you're slower to get, to get to balls that are along the ground. That's, you know, a classic kind of adage is when there's a big, tall goalkeeper, you know, coaches say, hey, keep the shots low and, and along the ground, and it's much more difficult to, to get down to those. Um, but, yeah, so overall, height definitely does help as a goalie. Nice. You were a three-year varsity letterman at Paramus High School, where you were a team captain and an all-league player for a team that won two league titles and one county title during your time there. You also played for the Arsenal World Class Club team, and you played on the basketball team. All in all, it sounds like you had a very successful high school career. Yeah, yeah, and I was, uh, first off, just very fortunate to have, to have great teammates, you know, both in you know, our, our, our graduating class and then you know, guys that were years ahead of me and, and younger than me as well, uh, really in both sports. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, enjoyed playing both sports. Uh, you know, just a great group of, great group of guys to, to be around in both, on both teams. Were you recruited by colleges to play soccer? I was. I was, yeah. I was very lucky to participate in some summer camps, uh, you know, caught, caught the interest of the coaches up at West Point, um, and they recruited me to come play there, and I, you know, I'd wanted to come there already, so it was kind of a a fortuitous you know, turn of events, and was very happy to, to go to West Point and play there. Wow, so West Point was already your dream school when they recruited you. Yeah, yeah, I was just very fortunate in that regard. Um, kind of from a young age, I, I knew I wanted to go into the Army, uh, and then as I got older and started looking into the different options and you know, different ways to do it, uh, there's a lot of great paths to do it, but when, you know, learning about West Point and what the institution stood for and the, the unique opportunities that are there and kind of, you know, how they help, you know, shape and develop young men and women. I was definitely interested in that. Uh, so then when soccer came along, it was a big passion of mine as well. That was kind of just, you know, a perfect, uh, perfect uh, sequence of events that led to me being able to, to play up there. Wow, that's amazing. In my opinion, it takes a special type of person to want to attend West Point and serve this country in the Army. West Point differs from the majority of colleges. Can you go into some of those details? Yeah, sure. Um, so of course, you know, it's a, it's a service academy uh, along with the other service academies we have, um, Navy, Air Force, uh, Coast Guard, Merchant Marine. Um, so really the primary difference is everyone that's coming there is coming with the attention to, to be, the intention to be commissioned uh, into the respective branch or one of the other branches of service. Uh, so naturally, you know, that lends itself to kind of a different structure and a different day-to-day. Uh, I'd be happy to go into kind of more detail on any of the different pieces, but, you know, everything you could think of from wearing a uniform, you know, having mandatory formations, doing at times relatively intense military training in, in the summers, uh, and then kind of just, you know, the overall structure and the organization as a, as a core of cadets, as we call it, 
uh, is pretty unique to, to those schools, or at least, you know, other, other schools like it. Uh, and especially at West Point, you know, they take great pride for, for good reason uh, in a lot of the, the things that are unique to them and, and, and what they do, um, whether it's the honor code or kind of how they structure their Corps of Cadets. Uh, it's really just a unique place, um, and I'm you know, grateful to have had the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you were able to attend, in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best, schools in the country. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate, um, you know, to be Forbes, I think, ranked us number one at one point, and U.S. News and World, World Report uh, has us relatively well ranked as well. So, you know, just that's, I think, just a testament to, you know, the quality of people they, they attract and continue to, to produce. And it's a very hard school to get into. Yeah, yeah, it has some unique, uh, unique kind of steps in the application process. Really, probably one of the, the hardest gates to get through is you need uh, a nomination by a sitting senator or congressman from, from your home districts that entails, you know, its own series of interviews and kind of its own application process. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, there's the actual application to the school itself and kind of meeting the academic and other standards they have. Um, they have a physical assessment as part of that as well, which um, you know, there's, I've met, there's people there that are in way better shape than I am that probably absolutely crushed it. Um, but, you know, I kind of met the standards and got through that. So it's a little bit more involved in the application process. I think that's the nature of kind of the, I don't know if better and more well-rounded is the right term, but kind of a more holistic uh, candidate they're looking for with the unique challenges they have versus, you know, maybe another school. For sure. And it's like they have to be strict on you at such an early age because the Army demands so much. Yeah, yeah, there's a, how do I put this? <laughs> there's definitely a, a structure and a process that, that they've developed over time, uh, which in my opinion, you know, now looking back on it is phenomenal and it works extremely well and it does exactly what they want to do. Uh, but understandably and kind of intentionally, you know, it's very challenging at times. So the first summer when you show up, uh, you know, a vast majority of, of cadets are coming in as you know, civilians, never having been in the military. There is a percentage of uh, prior service cadets, you know, come from the, uh, active duty, uh, but a majority that's the first ex- exposure to the military. So you come in, you know, and you're getting, you know, a bus cut, you're wearing a uniform for the first time, you're standing in formation, you're learning how to march, you're kind of getting yelled at as you do all of these things. And that's just the first day. And then you have, I think, if I remember correct, eight or nine weeks of that, or maybe even a little longer in the first summer. Um, that's known as beast barracks. So it's kind of the, their version of basic training, which kind of inculcates you and starts you in that process to, to becoming a cadet and then, you know, becoming an officer down the road. Wow. I couldn't get through that, but I am so thankful that there are men and women out there who can and do because we have the best military in the world. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, just really, the, you know, the six years I spent in the service was was truly a, a blessing every day, and the men and women I got to work with were were phenomenal. And that's honestly something I'll take with me for the rest of my life. Just the opportunities I had and the experiences I had, really, just you know, learning on a daily basis from everyone around me. So it was, it was great. That's great to hear. I do have some questions about your experiences at West Point. My first being, do all of the kids have to wake up at the same time in the mornings? So uh, there is, and I think recently they're, they're making some changes to this kind of in my last year, but from what I remember, there is uh, a set morning formation uh, from what I recall, 6.30 every morning. So obviously, you know, you got to wake up in time to get up, do your hygiene, uh, clean up your room for the, the AM inspection, so the morning inspection. Uh, and then, you know, put on your uniform, make sure you're all set to go for classes and get out to that formation before you eat breakfast. Uh, so, yeah, you do have to wake up in the morning uh, relatively early. Some wake up earlier than others. Uh, some folks, you know, will go and do physical training or exercise before, even before that starts. Uh, so, yeah, it is a pretty early morning, but not everyone wakes up exactly the same time. Okay. And you guys can't go home on weekends or you can't go home every weekend. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a kind of a tiered approach to it where you know your first year you have almost no privileges as they're called. So you know you can go out within a certain radius from the campus and there's a small, small, relatively small little town, Highland Falls is right off campus. Um, but then you know you go home for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then spring break. And I think you have like one pass, meaning like one opportunity to leave uh, altogether and go somewhere for a weekend uh, each semester. Then your second year you get a little bit more privileges. And then by your senior year, you have, you know, because of kind of a quirk in the system, they give you 99 passes a semester, which is obviously, you know, works out to be unlimited because it's more passes than, than weekends. Um, so it kind of escalates, you know, as you, as you advance in, in rank in, in the core of cadet structure and get a little bit more uh, privileges and a little bit more experience with the thought that, you know, as a, a senior or a first, uh, first class uh, cadet, as it's called, you know, you have a little bit more common sense and you can judge when you should take pass and when you shouldn't versus, uh, during your, your fourth class year, your plebe year, which is your first year at the school, you know, they kind of keep you close hold to make sure, you know, you're getting everything you need done and, and not getting into trouble. And visitation, your visitation rights are limited. Yeah, yeah. So kind of by virtue of having those, those limited passes and a limited ability to get off of uh, campus, most weekends, unless you have some kind of restriction or you've gotten in trouble, you know, family can come visit you, but what you can do is extremely limited. You know, you can be on the campus or like I said, you can go to that, to the town that's right outside, but you can't, you know, go visit family or if family comes up, you can't, you know, go to New York city necessarily or something like that. Um, depending on, like I said, what privileges you have and what, and what class you're in. Wow. You guys make a lot of sacrifices. Yeah. I mean, again, I think, you know, hindsight's 2020 or I, you know, looking back on it, it's easy to say now, um, but the system, in my, in my opinion, at least, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, there's a ton of things being thrown at you. There's a lot of things you have to learn your first year, you know, adjusting to being in the military, adjusting to being a cadet, you know, the academic workload, uh, and then, you know, the athletics or intramurals or uh, club activities cadets are doing. To me, in, at least in my opinion, it makes sense that, you know, they kind of keep you there, make sure you're getting your feet under you and kind of figuring out how to manage your time and then giving you more privileges as, as you go. It's actually a lot better off than it used to be. Uh, you know, way, way back in the day, talking like 1800s, uh, cadets didn't go home until I believe it was the Thanksgiving or the Christmas break of their junior year or their cow year, as it's called, uh, um, you know, because that was how they did it back then. And that, to me, sounds way worse. I'm just glad I wasn't around that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it does sound a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. I was very, very thankful to be able to, to go home, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas of, of plebe year again, your, your first year, your fourth class year at the school. Uh, you know, it's very stressful. You have a lot going on. You're adjusting. So I can't imagine not being able to, to leave and just sit in there for, you know, a couple of years in a row. Yeah, for sure. And I do have one question about the academics. So you're obviously learning a lot about the military. Do you also have to take like science classes, business classes, math classes? Sorry if this is a really stupid question. No, no, not at all. Um, actually, you know, get that quite often. Um, Really, there's a couple of ways to look at it. Uh, probably the first thing I would say is uh, one thing West Point's known for, it's what's called the Thayer method, where as they're teaching these classes, the big emphasis is, is on you doing the learning first, uh, you know, doing a problem set or doing different questions and coming to class with basically questions on the work you were done. And the reason I, I bring that up first is that kind of underpins the whole methodology of how they build their curriculum. So it's emphasis on you learning, and in a perfect world, you show up to class, you know, and the professor says, you know, you know, what are your questions based on last night's homework? And if there aren't any, he can dive into the next lesson because you've kind of learned on your own the night before. Um, as a result of that, or, you know, part of that, how they shape the academics is they give you um, a core curriculum that you have to take. So, you know, every cadet's going to take 
physics, every cadet's going to take military history, every cadet's going to take English, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to kind of give that broad uh, education they expect Army officers to have, or, you know, at least West Point Army officers to have. Uh, and then in addition to that, you do declare a major and take electives much like you would at any other school. Uh, so I actually majored in economics at a minor in applied statistics. I really enjoyed it. Uh, really enjoyed the econ and the social sciences department, or SOCIA as it's called, um, you know, as an organization. So really happy with my choice. And long answer to your question, yes, you do take normal classes, but kind of with some, you know, unique twists based on how the academy does. That's really interesting. And that's great that you're obviously learning so much about the military, which you need. But on the side, you can pick another topic that you like. Yeah, no, it, that aspect is definitely, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it's unique, and I really appreciated that. Because, uh, you know, it gives you kind of that, you can really dive in academically, intellectually, and kind of dive into the subject matter. Uh, you, you enjoy studying. You, you have say in that based on when you're picking your major. I think it just lends itself to um, kind of building cadets up as they go through the process and, and enjoying their last two years, probably more so than the first two years. I know for me, definitely a part of that was, you know, being an econ major and really enjoying the economics and the business classes I was taking. So, yeah, definitely. Nice. At most other colleges... Soccer, whether it be practice or a game, is the most demanding part of the day. But at West Point, the entire day is demanding. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, a unique challenge. Uh, you know, there's definitely challenges across all different schools, and I'm sure, you know, top soccer schools, top academic institutions, you know, other, other schools all have kind of the, you know, things the athletes need to go through on a daily basis. Uh, but I do think West Point does have some unique challenges. Uh, I had a couple of teammates that used to say, uh, your worst day on the pitch is better, you know, is going to be better than your, your best day in the barracks. So that kind of meant, you know, <laughs> as difficult as everything that's happening, as much kind of at times, you know, stuff you're dealing with and working through, being able to c- come on the soccer pitch, you know, be in the team room and kind of put your full mind and kind of, you know, thought into that was, uh, was really helpful. Um, and it was honestly, sometimes, you know, it was, it was a challenge in and of itself, but sometimes it kind of helped you deal with, with other things that were going on as well. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of other things taking up your time, uh, but soccer was a big part of that and kind of, you know, helped a lot of us deal with the other things that we were going through. And do the athletes on campus, are they excused from doing some of the physical training since they're exercising in their sport? So that is a, that is a good question. You'll probably, I laugh because you'll probably get some uh, heated opinions uh, on this one way or the other. Uh, two-part answer, I guess, one you're not, I may not excused, but that counts as your athletic activity. One of the kind of sayings the, the academy has is every cadet and athlete. Uh, so if you play on a, a varsity team or as, as a poor squad team, that's your athletic activity. If you do a club sport, you know, like handball or something like that, that's your athletic activity. If you don't do anything, either uh, varsity or club squad, uh, you participate in intramural sports for, for your company. So the organization you're in is a cadet. Um, so you do, I guess in that sense, not do the intramurals because you're doing a different sport. Uh, the reason I laughed originally in the second part to that question is you do get out of some things that are known as uh, duties. So, you know, as a, as a plea, again, your, your first year at the school, part of the kind of, you know, process of making you go through a lot of things and, you know, take up your time and, and put some stress on you is you do what are known as plea duties. So you're picking up laundry for upperclassmen. You're taking out trash from the barracks uh, to the dumpster. You're making sure things around the barracks are cleaned. Uh, and because if you're a varsity athlete or to an extent a club squad athlete, because, you know, practices run late, it takes up so much of your time uh, kind of to balance that a little bit. You typically you're excused from plea duties. Uh, but I'm sure if you ask, you know, one of my classmates or good buddies who are not on a varsity sport, they'll tell you a story about how, you know, 
core squad athletes are pampered and don't have to do duties and, you know, never had to take out trash and stuff like that. So <laughs> just depending on who you ask, yes and no. Okay. And this cliche thing I see in every military movie or military show I've seen is that at these schools like West Point, they have these obstacle courses that the cadets go through every day. Did you guys have to do that? Yes, yes. There is actually, um, I can't help but chuckle again, because this is, if you ask any, any West Point grad, they'll have you know, their own kind of tale to tell about this. But there is, inside of Hayes Gymnasium, which is uh, right on, on campus, there's an obstacle course. It's called the indoor obstacle course, and when you take it, it's the IOCT, the indoor obstacle course test. And really, what it is, it's a series of um, pretty functional, you know, and pretty pretty important things to be able to maneuver as a as an army officer. So, you know, a wall you have to climb over, a rope climb you have to do, um, monkey bars to swing across. Kind of probably some of the things you're alluding to as far as you know, cliche things in movies. Uh, but the reason it's kind of so memorable for a lot of uh, grads is that. It's inside of Hayes Gymnasium, which I believe until very recently hadn't been renovated for a long time. And there's, you know, people tell tales that there's, you know, asbestos in the walls and that's why your lungs are burning. You know, that's, they designed it like that. So you had a nice burn in your lungs after you finished. Um, but it's kind of a, an event that even the most gifted athletes, you know, have a little bit of stress over. Uh, and I'm certainly not one of those, so I had a lot of stress over. Uh, but you have to take it your first year, um, then you have to take it again your, your third year, one as part of a class and another as kind of as a standalone event that's a graduation, graduation requirement. Okay, so it's not like you're doing it every day. No. Well, no, you're not, you don't have to do it every day, but th- there were some that uh, might have needed a little extra practice to make sure they met the, the time standards and weren't at risk of graduating. Uh, so I was one of those that, that ran it probably a few extra times uh, other than the times you had to just to make sure, you know, I was up to, up to the task. Okay. And were people excused during their athletic season? That is, that's actually a really good question. And I, I believe if I remember correctly, yes, if you were, if your mate, your primary seasons, you know, fall or, or spring, um, if you, if your primary season was the fall, you didn't have to take it until the spring of your junior year. And if I remember correctly, I was one of those folks as well. So yes. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Just because if you get, like, God forbid, you get hurt doing the obstacles and you can't play in the games. If I were a coach, I'd be upset. So that does yeah, make sense. Yeah, I think that's one of the, yeah, that's one of the concessions that, that they make, um, if I remember correctly. But it's another one where, again, if you ask someone that wasn't a core or a club squad athlete, they may give you a slightly different perspective on that, you know, and talk about how the athletes had it, had it easy in that regard. <laughs> So take me through a day at West Point during soccer season. Start with what time you have to wake up and go from there. Sure, sure. Um, first, I would preface this that uh, you know, I'm at least six, probably like six and a half years removed now. Um, so you know, if I, if I get every, anything wrong, it's you know, no slight to the, the cadets that are, that are going through it now. Um, but from what I recall, I would wake up like 6 or 6.30, I believe. Um, so I guess, yeah, formation must have been a little bit later. Uh, so I'd wake up, you know, do hygiene, get my uniform ready. Uh, kind of, you know, check, have my roommate check my uniform, make sure I checked his, make sure, you know, we didn't make some mistake and we were, had a good appearance for the day. Um, go outside for formation, which I guess was around 7 o'clock. Have your morning formation. Uh, go to breakfast, which is kind of this all, all meals, or most meals at West Point are pretty unique. All 4,000-plus cadets eat at the same time in this big, massive uh, mess hall, as it's called. Uh, eat breakfast. Uh, after that, you know, you go back to your room, you know, make your bed, make sure everything's put away, that it's ready for AM inspection. Uh, and then depending on your class schedule, typically uh, there was a handful of kind of academic periods throughout the day. So you may have 
let's say, you know, three hours of class before lunch, uh, maybe an hour down to do some reading or some homework uh, before lunch. Lunch, same thing. You have a formation outside. You walk to the mess hall. Uh, again, all 4,000 cadets are eating at the same time. And then in the afternoon hours, you have, again, anywhere from one to three uh, classes, depending on how many classes you had, whether or not you had a lab, uh, et cetera. Uh, and all of this, I should say, all the classes are walking distance. It's a pretty, pretty tight-knit campus. Uh, and then for athletes, you would never have the last hour of class that enables you to get to practice. Now, let's say class ended at 245, uh, 3.30. By 3.30, we had made our way down to the team room, getting changed, getting ready for practice. Practice would run from, let's say, 4 to 5.30 or 4.30 to 6, depending, you know, on the day. Um, most days, we were very fortunate, kind of the, the support staff and the managers would get some uh, food from the mess hall and bring it down to the team room so we could have for dinner, shower, uh, eat some dinner, uh, and then head back to your room. And then again, depending on what year you were in, how many privileges you have, you either had to do some uh, plea duties with your company mates, you know, when you had time, when you weren't away at a game or something like that. Um, so you may be, you know, taking out trash, taking out upper, uh, gathering up upperclassmen's laundry, et cetera, um, and then doing, doing homework. And the one the one thing I struggled with was effective time management. And I had some people that, I knew some people that did it much better than me, but you know, it isn't unusual to start cracking your book at, you know, seven or eight after you take care of everything else you were doing the whole day. Uh, and then, you know, you have, might have four or five hours of homework ahead of you. So uh, pretty challenging in that regard. Definitely didn't get enough sleep at times, um, but that's kind of the, at least for me, it was a typical day. Wow, that's a long day. Yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty long days sometimes. Uh, Again, I had some teammates that were much better than me in managing time. Uh, and I will say during, during the season, especially when I was, when I was playing actively, uh, you know, kind of reprioritized efforts and I made sure I tried to get, you know, more sleep during the week or before a game. Um, but then when there were academic crunch periods, I mean, you know, guys would stay up like me till probably midnight, 1, 8, 1 a.m. most days and get up like, you know, 6, 6.30. Then there was sometimes uh, we would pull the infamous all-nighter, never during the season, thankfully. But, you know, every once in a while, work just catches up to you and you just, you know, sit down and start doing homework. And then, you know, you, you finish as your roommate's getting up and you both get ready for, for morning formation. You're not having slept a minute. So it's very rare, um, but it does happen when people like me, unfortunately, didn't manage their time effectively. Wow. To put that in perspective, West Point, obviously, a great academic school. They also have that military factor to it. You're in the Patriot League. Lehigh's in there. They're another great academic school. Their, their day, the soccer team, very different from West Point. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it definitely is. But I guess the one thing I'd say on that is as much as the academy kind of puts unique requirements on you and kind of gives you some unique challenges, uh, there are a lot of things that, especially now, no longer being in the military, I kind of appreciate that they take care of for you. You know, all meals are provided in, in the mess hall if you want them there. You don't have to worry about a meal card. You, you wear a uniform, so there's no... You know, what am I wearing tomorrow? Do I have enough laundry done? You just got to make sure you have a uniform that's cleaned. Um, and then with the soccer team it, itself, like we talked about before, there were some things that you kind of got some, some concessions or, or some leeway on. And then in addition to that, you know, you just have a fantastic support staff. So athletes get, um, all cadets do, but athletes kind of get steered towards a lot of the, the resources as far as um, academic support. There's a center for enhanced performance. It's called in, in the library up at the academy that kind of gives you some some unique stuff, you know, like I said, having that dinner provided for you in the team rooms. There are some unique things the school and the team really and the support staff and coaches do that they try to, make, you know, make your life easier where they can. The team in and of itself is another, in my opinion, you know, positive you get um, just by virtue of, of being on it. It's uh, typically, it's, it's a pretty close-knit group, at least, you know, the years I was there. Um, and it, 
it's just a, a brotherhood within a brotherhood is the way I'd, I'd describe it, where, you know, you all have, you know, a bunch of young men and women that are cadets, but then within that you have this unique bond of, you know, other people that are, that are on the team with you and you have kind of that shared experience. Uh, and it's, you know, just a great group to be around. Um, very uh, engaged, very passionate coaches. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a good organization to be in. It can actually help you in many ways as a cadet, as well as, you know, require some time and some effort from you. Nice. How was the Army soccer team during your time there? Uh, so the, the team, when I was first recruited, I guess I'd answer it this way, um, struggled a little bit. You know, they had some challenges. They had a couple down years. Um, my first year, my, my freshman year, I believe we won two games or maybe three. Um, and then by the time I left, the, the team was, was much better now to the, to the point now where, you know, they're, um, you know, winning the big rivalry game against Navy regularly. Uh, they're very, you know, very competitive in the Patriot League tournament on a yearly basis. Uh, and a big part of that change was uh, my, the winter of my freshman year going into my sophomore season, they brought in a new uh, head coach, head coach Russell Payne, uh, phenomenal man, phenomenal mentor, uh, and, you know, kind of this results speak for themselves. You know what I mean? Now there's a team that's highly competitive in the Patriot League and plays, you know, some pretty, some pretty strong teams across the region and even across the nation on a regular basis. Uh, and that just wasn't the case when, you know, when I was recruited in, in my freshman season. So not, not, I uh, had some struggles at first, um, but now, you know, pretty, pretty competitive and, and definitely holds their own kind of with similar schools. The right coach can really turn a program around. What is your favorite memory as a member of the West Point soccer team? Oh, probably favorite memory would be the spring of my freshman year. And this was right after Coach Payne had arrived. Uh, he was able to get us a game against the Red Bull Reserve uh, team. So not, you know, not the, the Red Bull professional team, but like the equivalent of Red Bull 2, like the reserve squad. Um, and it was at home. It was at West Point. You know, obviously a little bit more of a high-profile game than I think the community was used to. So a lot of, a lot of families, a lot of people around the, the installation came out to support. Uh, and it was the first time I'd actually started. It was just a spring game, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the fall season, which is the main season, uh, but I'd always been kind of the, the backup. And right before that game, he said, hey, you know, we're going to start you uh, for this game. And I started, and I played pretty well. So it was just a great kind of unique experience playing against professional players, play, play, playing against a few players, you know, I'd seen on TV and stuff like that. So it was really cool. That's awesome. And you live relatively close to West Point. It's under an hour. So were your parents able to get up to a lot of the home games? My parents were. My parents definitely were. Um, they came up very frequently, you know, loved having them come out and support the team, uh, have that opportunity. And then my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, Rachel, very, very lovingly and patiently came out to a lot of games as well. Even, you know, even when I wasn't starting, uh, she would come out. So that was just great to, um, you know, have that ability to see kind of family and, and friends on a regular basis. Like you said earlier, that's not something, you know, you get to do a lot your first year. So that's very nice. That family support system is so important. You were named to the Patriot League honor roll three times in your career, in 2009, 2011, and 2012. That means you had one of the better grade point averages in the entire conference. That's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, again, just, just lucky to have, like, a great uh, support network at school, uh, great teachers, great coaches, uh, kind of you know, set conditions for me to be able to, to do well academically. Um, a lot of hard work at times, but I think in the end it was definitely worth it and something I'm pretty proud of and look back on very fondly. Those all-nighters paid off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They uh, were not pleasant at the time, but uh, in retrospect, I would have managed my time more efficiently. Um, but, yeah, you know, if you, if you put hard work in, uh, there's, like I said, a great support system there that will you know, help, help make sure you succeed. 
Can you talk about the rivalry between Army and Navy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that's kind of an interesting dynamic, and I was, you know, thought it was thought about it in this way that it's this, you know, obviously very heated rivalry. You know, beat uh, uh, think Navy, beat Army. You know, there's kind of the the sayings or one of the main slogans at at Navy and Army respectively. Obviously, you know, the biggest rivalry for for each school. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, once you graduate and you and you commission as officers, yeah, there's some you know natural kind of jokes and stuff back and forth. But you know, you're you're kind of you know officers in different branches of the military are all serving the, the same team. So definitely a heated rivalry, very, very passionate. Uh, probably the Army Navy football game is, of course, the, the best known. Uh, but for the, the soccer team, uh, they started doing something really cool, and they play the Army Navy Cup. It was in Philadelphia uh, for a few years when I was in school, and they kind of do it at a neutral site uh, regularly to allow a bigger crowd to attend. So they're you know, building that up, and that's, that's really cool to see. Um, but, yeah, heated rivalry, which I think people – People get reminded of eventually, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're going to be on the same team one day. Yeah, you really nailed that on the head. Like you said, I think it's so interesting because it's a fierce rivalry in college athletics, just like Michigan and Ohio State are or Duke and North Carolina. But, yeah, then the Army and Navy go on to be on the same team, work together to defend our great country. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really it's really unique in that respect. Um, and it's something that, you know, I had the – kind of the pleasure of seeing firsthand, you know, and doing different things with the military, different training and different operations. I mean, you really do have times where, you know, you're talking to someone um, in the Navy or you may, you know, uh, a Marine unit may be training with you um, or, you know, in what I was doing, military worked with the Air Force quite regularly. So it really is, uh, I think it's a common bond more more than anything. Uh, but, you know, while you're at school, obviously, you know, that is, that is a heated rivalry. And it's really a great, you know, source of kind of like fun and entertainment when those big games come up. Let's talk about your military career since graduating in 2013. What can you share as far as where you've been stationed, what your rank is, what your specialty, your job is? Anything you can give us? Sure, yeah. So I was, uh, like I said, on active duty for six years, um, commissioned into the field artillery. So that's kind of the, the branch or the specialty I was in um, in 2013. Went to Oklahoma for the initial officer training. Then was very fortunate to be stationed over in, in Europe, uh, deployed with a unit from Europe to uh, Iraq in 2014, um, and was in Europe for another two years after that uh, in two different units. Um, really enjoyed my time there, got married while I was there. So, you know, Rachel, my wife, was able to come over, kind of got the experience living in, in Europe, which is great. Uh, came back to the States to Oklahoma for some additional training uh, in, in the field artillery at, as, at what's known as the Captain's Career Course. And then after that, was just stationed in Georgia for about a year and a half uh, and then separated off of active duty this summer as, as a captain. Wow, Mike, that's quite the run you've had uh, with, the, with the military. And thank you so much for your service. Yeah, absolutely. You recently left the military and enrolled at Harvard for graduate school. Yeah, um, just got up here a few weeks ago uh, in Boston for, uh, for, you know, I'm going to Harvard Business School, pursuing my MBA. Um, really excited to be up here. Was you know, obviously over the moon when when I got accepted, um, and really looking forward to it. Making a, a pretty significant career pivot, um, but I think you know the MBA is going to allow me to do some things uh, in my future that I've always wanted to do and, and pursue. Uh, and my wife and I are just excited to be in a great city and you know opening the, the next chapter in our lives. Wow! So after you finish, I think you might be the most employable person—an undergrad degree or at West Point a career in the military, 
and a graduate degree at Harvard. Good for you. Please don't come for my job. <laughs> no, I, thank you. I, I appreciate the sentiment, but as, as I'm quickly learning, uh, not all the skills you develop in the military are, are transferable. We were just doing an exercise last week where, you know, new classmates were kind of sharing what their career goals were and how they could help people, you know, connect people in their network or kind of give them perspective. Uh, and I quickly realized that, you know, walking around the woods, uh, organizing vehicles in a convoy and, you know, determining what gets blown up when aren't necessarily in high demand. Um, so yeah, not, not all of the skills are transferable. So we'll see how employable I am in two years. <laughs> no, I still think you're going to be very employable. You defended our country. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. Um, I'm definitely excited. There's you know, obviously a lot of great resources here, and that's part of the reason why I'm going to, to business school. I, I joke, but, you know, that's the part of the, the reason why to kind of take some of the, the intangible skills, the, the leadership and things you develop in the military and kind of, you know, marry those up with some actual uh, technical and, and business skills. Absolutely. So fun fact for everyone, I was in Mike's wedding. His wife, Rachel, is one of my that best is- friends. <laughs> I was one of the bridesmaids. That is true. And uh, she's one of the that best people true. that I know. I could not agree more, uh, more with that. <laughs> and she's your high school sweetheart. So how's the married life treating you guys? Uh, it's, it's great. It's great. Our three-year wedding anniversary is actually tomorrow. Um, oh, my God. Three we, uh, years already. Yeah, it's wow. already been three years. Uh, it's kind of tough to, to do things on a weeknight with school and, and uh, everything. So in a few weeks, you have a nice dinner planned at a nice restaurant up here in Boston. So looking forward to that. But yeah, it's been, it's been great. And I, I cannot be happier. Very cool. It was a beautiful wedding at the Thayer Hotel. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it, it was um, not to, you know, advertise them or anything, but a beautiful uh, facility right off of, uh, right off of the campus up at West Point, And we were lucky to, to have booked it and really enjoyed it. West Point was awesome. The town surrounding it, there was no internet. I could not connect the GPS to get home. I had to drive back to West Point's campus <laughs> just to plug it in. That's my only complaint. Yeah. Um, how do I phrase this? Um, Highland Falls is, uh, you know, it's a town right off of a military base, essentially, in, in the college campus. So, you know, just as with anything that comes with kind of some, some challenges and, and some unique strains on the infrastructure there that I think the, the campus and the military base pose. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not perfect, but you know, it kind of has a, a special place in the hearts of many cadets because, as we talked about, you know, for your first year or even two, that's really a majority of the access you get to the outside world is you know walking down or taking the the, the bus down to, to Highland Falls and, and enjoying that. Nice! Wow, three years! Congratulations to you two. Thank you, Mike. I've had a blast talking with you, and I like to end the episode with some fun questions. How does that sound to you? That sounds great. Awesome. What show are you currently binge watching? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, recently I went back and admittedly kind of forced, uh, Rachel to, to repurchase the early seasons of modern family. So we've been watching that. (laughs) That's a good show. The last season's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what spurred us to, at least me to be like, man, I, I really enjoyed this show and I couldn't remember all the early seasons. So we're, we're binging that and trying to get through that. Nice. What is your favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot. Um, that's another very good question. Uh, I'd probably have to say Malta in, in Europe, in the Mediterranean and went there very unique, kind of different, a little bit off the beaten path. So really enjoyed that. 
Nice. You're known to make really good margaritas. What's the secret ingredient? So the secret ingredient, I guess, counterintuitively is uh, the lack of any extraneous ingredients. Simple three, two, one recipe, uh, you know, three parts to two parts to one part of, uh, of uh, lime juice, tequila, and uh, triple set. They're delicious. I've had one or multiple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. It's the most important question of the podcast. Are you ready for it? I am. Is the couch all set up for when I visit in the fall? The couch, uh, the couch is set up. It's here in the living room. Uh, but fair warning, it does get a little light and a little, uh, a little warm in the morning. So the sun comes through the, the windows. We have an apartment that's facing east. So if you can deal with that, then yes, the couch is set up for when you come visit. Nice. I can deal with it. <laughs> all right, Good. Mike. Thank you so much for coming on. As I said before, I know you're getting settled in, you and Rachel. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, Bridget. Glad to be on the show, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. And once again, thank you for your service. Thanks. All right, everyone. That was my talk with Mike Fuke. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back next week with another Outstanding Athlete.